know who we are and such, out on the table out there, I commandeered a table and I put some information out there for prayer cards and things and pick up multiple prayer cards and pass them out and be a distributor of prayer, if you don't mind. We'd love for for that to happen. Um, As you turn to Romans chapter 9, as Pastor mentioned, we've uh, been... uh, uh, our family has experienced COVID personally just recently, and um, we, uh, w- my boys and I just tested negative this last week, uh, but my wife uh, was w- going to, I- she's in Idaho right now, in western Idaho, and visiting her sister, who she's not been with for t- over two years, maybe three years now, and not been able to see her and her family for, for that long time. So she was able, because of COVID and us not being able to go back to Kenya, um, I'm teaching online classes here while in, living in Columbus, Ohio at a mission house there. And Lord's blessed us in many different ways. But because of COVID, she was able to go see her sister in Idaho. And apparently on the way, uh, she, she contracted covid and so she's there, and then she gets sick and all of that. But we were ble- praising the Lord because just the weekend before, we had our son Johnny and his wife who lived in Jackson, Tennessee, and uh, she's pregnant, so our grandchild is there. There's no COVID. They don't have it. And uh, she contracted it after their visit, and she got it. Um, just in time to be uh, without um, non to be non contagious in time for our second born son Jacob's wedding this Saturday. Yeah, isn't the Lord good? Yeah. So that she now she was supposed to fly back into Columbus this uh, yesterday, but obviously not able to do that. But um, she's going to have to drive all the way from Western. Idaho all the way to Minneapolis for the wedding. It's 21 hours or so driving time plus stops and things. So pray for her as she gets there and arrives on on the Friday night in time for a, a wedding on Saturday. So uh, we just praise the Lord on his timing of all of this. And um, so just keep in prayer for us as we, as we go through that. And, and the boys and I, our two youngest boys will be traveling from Columbus to Minneapolis uh, this week as well. And Lindsay, who is in college in Pennsylvania at Messiah College, will be flying uh, to Minneapolis on, on Thursday. Johnny and Lydia will be flying from Jackson, Tennessee up to uh, Minneapolis on Friday. So pray, just pray for safety and all of that. And, and, uh, that uh, and our son is marrying a wonderful lady and with a good family. And uh, even when we go back to Africa, hopefully mid-December, um, the, her family is not too far away. So our son Jacob also will have a new, new family there as well, close to them there in Minneapolis. So the Lord is good. And he's, even though we say, well, why did this all happen? Well, it happened because of sin. It happened and God did not give my wife covid uh, or anything like that. It's just the way things are and our sinful nature and all of that. And we'll talk a little bit about that in this message today. And I've been so blessed by hearing how great our God is this morning. How great our God is. And I asked 
I want to ask you a question. How powerful is the gospel this morning? How powerful is the gospel this morning? Gospel means good news. How, uh, what can it do? And we read in Romans chapter 9 verse 1, Paul giving us really what one of my seminary professors years ago said, the definition of a burden. And Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 9, Romans, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. How many of you here are, you don't need to raise your hand, but think, are you born again? Are you saved? Are you going to heaven? And if you are, do you have a burden? Is your gospel that you're believing powerful enough for you to say, I'd rather die and go to an eternal lake of fire if my kinsmen could receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's powerful. That's the definition of a burden if I've ever heard of anything. What would cause Paul to say, if my, my brethren, my fellow Jews, if, and we can apply that any way we want, if my family, if my countrymen, if they would believe Jesus, trust in him, I would go to an eternal lake of fire for that, if that could happen. I'd trade that. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I'm there. But what brought that, this about with Paul? And we're going to find, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. It's, you're probably used to that when I come. I do things differently. But I want to look and see what brought this statement out of Paul. What brought this commitment to the gospel out of Paul? There is a clear connection between the authority of the word of Jesus Christ and an urgency to see people come to him. There is a clear connection between that. Okay? So, let's finish the introduction to the sermon. Go back to Romans chapter 1. I'm scrolling down all the way back to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look because Romans... 1 through 8 is the most concise um, or not concise, maybe the most uh, clear picture of what the gospel means. What does this mean? What is it that Paul believes and is taught that brings him to the point of saying, I'll give my salvation up if my fellow people would believe? It's like Billy Graham saying, Lord, let it start with me, whatever it takes. You just heard that story. Incredible story. Whatever it takes. That's what Paul is saying. 
And Paul starts in chapter 1, and, and now you've got to listen fast, okay? You ready? You got your ears on? You got your brain going? All right? He starts, he says, A Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who is de- descended from David according to the flesh. And basically what Paul's saying is there, this gospel is not new. It is the gospel that we see all the way back in the Old Testament, but is coming to more light there. He says in verse 6, or verse 5, through whom we have received the grace and apostleship for being to, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 8. First, I thank God, my God, through Jesus Christ, for all of you, for your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Skip down to verse 16, which is the the theme of the book of Romans, I believe. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to whom? What's your Bible say? Now you got you, you to gotta follow me along because I may make a mistake. And your Bible's, the Bible's right and folks is not, okay? All right. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There's the gospel in two verses. Two verses right there. There's the gospel. Don't be ashamed of it. You want to be right with God? You want to be right with the holy, righteous God? The gospel tells you how to to do that. And if you're here today or you're listening today, it doesn't, doesn't matter what you've done in the past or who you are or where you belong or, or it doesn't matter. You can be across the ocean. You can be raised in church. You can be on death row for murder. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. You can be saved according to this gospel. You can be made right with God. Now, before the good news comes the bad news. The fir- actually, the first part of the good news is the bad news. And you get to verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, talk about the sinfulness of man. And he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known? And he continues and he goes on and you'll see three times between verse 18 and the end of the chapter he says God gave them up or God gave them over. And it talks about natural, how our sinfulness, we just naturally want to be sinful. And we are. We are. How many sinners are here today? Raise your hand. All, if you didn't raise your hand, you just lied. <laughs> and you're a sinner. We all are. We're equal. We are all equal. We are all equal, level at the cross. There are two types of people in the world. Those that believe in Jesus and have accepted his salvation and those that have not. 
All of us are sinners. I'm saved. I'm born again since 1979, but I'm still sinful. I'm trying to get over it. But I'm still sinful. We're equal. It doesn't matter who you are, how you dress, where you come from, educated, not, doesn't matter. We're all equal. He says, for I, I gave them up. Because the natural result of sin is more sinfulness. The world going into, to hell in a handbasket, as we say, Paul predicted it. It was happening in the Roman day. At that time, we think, well, the world's worse than it ever was before. Probably not. Probably not. The world's getting better in places where the gospel is strong. The world's getting better where the gospel is stronger and the gospel of Jesus is being preached. But it says here, all the way through, God gave them up. Talks about homosexuality, talks about everything. And, and you know, the last part, at the end of this, one reason, that in verse 26, chapter 1, verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now look at this list of a debased mind, okay? Has anybody ever disobeyed their parents? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? It's on the list! It's on the list at the third level. And so it's, and even to verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Yeah. How how many times have I not stood up for what's right? I'm given approval. And then, so the, the heathen are sinners. That's kind of obvious. Okay? That's kind of obvious. But then he says in chapter 2, you hypocrites are without excuse. Look at verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges for and pass judgment on any another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And because we say, oh, well, that sin's not as bad as what I'm doing. And I say, that person's rotten to the core. I am too. Yeah? It's hard to say amen when I'm preaching like this, isn't it? Yeah? Think about it. We're all equal. Equal. I'm just as bad a sinner as you are. You are just as bad a sinner as your neighbor. In the eyes of God. And if I judge my neighbor, boom, right there. Chapter 2, verse 1. No excuse. The sinfulness of men and women and children. Any parents here? Yeah? I, I, my, my doctrine of sinful nature became much stronger with child number one. It increased drastically with child number two. And I have five now, so you can imagine 
that I'm pretty strong on the doctrine of the sin nature. Verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. doesn't matter what you know or how righteous or how schooled you are or how many theology degree you have it really doesn't matter it doesn't matter he says in verse so we see the hypocrite is also lost but then chapter 2 verse 17 and following the Hebrew the Jewish people are lost he says but you who call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you instru- are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of, of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say you mu- no one must commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And then he talks about how circumcision is not what saves you. Just because you're circumcised doesn't mean that you're going to be right with God. There were, the Jews used to teach that there's somebody standing at the door in heaven that's going to check to see if you're circumcised to see if you get in or not. Literally, they taught that. Not all of them, but some of them did. Somebody, well, some people will say, well, today, some of you, some of your family members may be saying, well, I was baptized at so-and-so church. Nobody's checking at the pearly gates to see if you were baptized. Chapter 3 continues. What advantages the Jew? And it talks about those. Advantages. They have the word. What advantage do you and I have today? And we still, still are not seeking God. We have the word. We have the covenant. We have the... And then, not only is the heathen and the hypocrite and the Hebrew lost, but all of humanity. He just sums it up in chapter 3, verse 9 and following. What then, are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. And then he quotes Old Testament. From verse 10 following, he quotes Old Testament scriptures. And he says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. They've all turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their, li- of, under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. <clears throat> Could get political there, couldn't we? Yes, Verse 19 and 20. Summary, in Paul's words. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. That word means declared righteous. No human being will be declared righteous in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Very clear. All of us are sinners. None of us deserve salvation. But what's the first two words in verse 21? (laughs) The good news of the good news is coming. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And that's what the book of Romans is about. That's what the gospel is about. It's not about you and me. It's about the righteousness of God. Why must God punish sin? Why must God punish sin? Because he's righteous. Well, if God was so loving, why would he send anybody to hell? Or why would he allow these things to happen? God did not... God did not give my wife COVID. God did not take your baby away. God did not give you cancer. Those are results of sin. I'm sinful because of my daddy and his daddy and his daddy and his daddy. And it keeps going back and back all the way to Daddy Adam. Goes all the way back. God does it, God, those things happen and then God works through those negative things. Think about it. How many blessings have you received because of COVID, let's say, for example? Yeah! Think about all the good things that have happened as, and those things. That, but the righteousness, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm meddling now instead of preaching. But look at verse 21. Again, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for who? All who what? It's not all, but it's all who? That word believe comes from the same root word as faith. Same root word as faith. In this, these verses, verses 21 to 26, may be the most concise doctrine of salvation in all the Bible. The righteousness of God's revealed. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in who? Jesus Christ. For all who, what? Believe. For there is no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. It doesn't say for all who sin. It says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and are justified, how? By his grace as a gift through the redemption. There's another big theological word. Redemption just means to pay the price and buy them out. So that they're loose, they're free. Okay, that word redemption is that Jesus paid the price, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation. There's another theological word. It just means sacrifice that satisfies God. That's what it means. Propitiation means atoning sacrifice. Through the redemptions in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, 
this was to show God's righteousness. Jesus died, and the sin debt was paid to show God's righteousness. Not yours or mine, because we don't have it. It's God's to show his righteousness. Because at his, in, in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is the just one and he is the one who justifies, to declare righteous. Anybody who has that faith in Jesus. And then the rest of Romans, he starts explaining what does that mean more. Or what about this question, this question, this question, and he begins answering it. But right there's the gospel. He finishes the chapter by saying there's no boasting. Because it's not you, it's not me, it's not by the law. For Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This gospel is not just for the Jews, it's not just for the Gentiles, it's for everybody. Verse 30, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised also through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means we uphold the law. And then he gives illustration in chapter 4. You're not listening fast enough, okay? In chapter 4 he basically says Abraham was justified by faith. Before circumcision, before any kind of a covenant with him or anything, it was declared. You check it out. Chapter, Genesis chapter 10 verse 6, he was justified by faith before all the rest of it happened. Before the, all the promises and everything else happened. And then he says, like in verse 5, And to the one who does not work but believes, him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. His faith is what's counted as righteousness. He talks about David. He goes on through, through chapter 4 and again gives illustration to those who are doubting the message that he's just said. Verse 5. Verse, chapter 5. Chapter 5 is the much more chapter. It gives us benefits of justification. Peace with God. Uh, access to Him in chapter 5 verse 2. Into this grace in which we stand. If we're standing in the grace of Christ, we will forever stand in that grace and we rejoice in the hope of that glory. He talks about in verse 6 and following the reconciliation that we have through Jesus Christ. We were enemies of God before we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Are you getting that? Two types of people. Enemies of God, those who are not. Enemies of God, those who are not. Which one are you? Have you been justified by faith or not? Yeah? Are you getting that? One or the other. Are you reconciled to him? Now remember, he's not the one who had to move. Reconciliation means somebody has to move and make the first steps and things. Right? And we're not talking about reconciliation between two guilty parties. We're talking about reconciliation of somebody who has never, ever, ever, ever been guilty of anything and me. And I'm the guilty one. And I'm the one who has to move to him. But I'm incapable of moving, so he provided the way for me to get to him. Because he loved me so much. Through Jesus Christ. 
And then chapter 5 from 12 and following, he just talks about what happened in Adam. The death that we have in Adam and the condemnation that we have in Adam. And then he just keeps talking about the free gift that we have in Jesus Christ. And he talks about not only that, but much more. Not only this, but much more. Because of the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Have you been justified by Jesus Christ? By his, by his blood, through gra- by grace through faith. Have you, and if so, how much do we have? Much more than we can ever imagine. You read chapter 5 and every time it says much more. Or in addition to that. Read chapter 5 and find out. And then chapter 6. What shall we say then? Do we keep on sinning? Obviously not. That was a rhetorical type question. And Paul says, and and the older versions say, God forbid. It's written in the most strongest way in the Greek. It's a double negative. No, not never. Okay? Okay. It's not, it's bad English, but good Greek. By no means. How can we who die to sin still continue to want to be in it? You get that? Because if, if I think about all that Jesus has done and the salvation that I have, whether you look at the word redemption, reconciliation, propitiation, or justified, or any of those words, you look at every, any of those, any way you want to look at the gospel in in the Bible, any way you look at it, there's, I don't want to sin against the God who gave me that. I don't want to go against him. But I still have this sin nature that I'm dragging around. It's like this jacket I put on this morning. I still have it. I, I have to keep throwing it off. I have to keep throwing that sin nature. I have to keep saying no to it. And Paul talks about that struggle. And he says things like in chapter 6, verse 12, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as, uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to, go, to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but you're under grace. Verse 15. What then? Are we to sin? Because we're... No. No. And then chapter 7 talks about being released from the law. And it talks about Paul's own struggle with sin. Paul's own struggle with sin. He says in chapter 7, verse 21. Are you there? 721. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. That's evidence that he's born again. I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. O wretched man that I am. Saved born again, missionary, apostle, Paul says, oh wretched man that I am. Because he still struggles with sin. Do you struggle with sin? Yeah? I do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25. (laughs) Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. 
we still struggle with sin. I'm never going to be perfect this side of glory. Just ask Rebecca. (laughs) And then we come to this chapter 8. This glorious, glorious chapter 8. And maybe the most hopeful verse in all scriptures, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no... (laughs) No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am still a sinner. I still mess up. I still have issues. But because of Jesus Christ, I will not face the wrath of God, the condemnation of God against my sin. I will not face it. Thank you for that hand back there, brother. Yes! Think about that. I will not face it. Because I'm in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything I did. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the flesh. For to set the mind on the flesh is is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. He goes on in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He will raise Christ Jesus from the dead. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Yeah? Victory is won. We're still in the war, but victory's already won. We are debtors. Verse 12. Verse 18, skip down. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in or to us. Are you going through difficult times? Doesn't even... Hold a candle to what we're going to receive one day. Doesn't even hold a candle to it. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Skip down to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we did not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Ever struggle on how to pray? Verse 31. Wait, wait, let me go back. Sorry, I can't skip these verses. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined, notice these are all in the past tense, 
He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That's a done deal. So what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who, who was raised? Who at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. And then the crescendo of the gospel. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors for him, through him who loved us. For I am sure... I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a powerful gospel. So what I would do with that? Is that gospel powerful enough to me in my life to give up my life, my eternal life, for the sake of others to hear that gospel? Because that's what Paul did. The crescendo, we just went and we're praising the Lord. This salvation is incredible. It's unthinkable that God died for me. I have great sorrow, verse 2. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brother. He goes on, chapter 10. I'm almost done. Stay with me. It is impossible, it is impossible to have a gospel theology without having an urgent missiology. It is impossible. So every time that I do not have an urgency to see people come to Jesus, it's because I'm not thinking on the gospel. I was, I was getting something at Kroger. I were living in South Columbus, and I was getting something at Kroger, and I got out of my car, and I was feeling good. It was a beautiful day. It had stopped raining, and I had gone through... And I was walking down and this girl came, I could see her coming down the parking lot. And I was, you know, had to step. 
And she was just depressed. All, it just looked like she was depressed. I mean, she was just walking slowly, probably in her 20s. I can't get her face out of my mind. Because I knew God spoke to me and said, that woman needs to hear the good news. And I walked right past her. My gospel, the what I believe, didn't motivate me enough that day. It didn't motivate me. Chapter 10, verse 1. Paul talks about his brothers in, Christ, uh, in, 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 uh, in legacy, in, in heritage, the Jews. And he has a burden for them. And he says in chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You know anybody like that? They want to know God, or they think they know God, but they don't. They don't have the right knowledge. They don't have the right theology. They don't have the right message. They don't have what you have. For being, verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness. That's describing our world today. Seeking to, that's describing the Muslims. That's describing the Buddhists. That's describing the Hindus. That's describing most false Christianity. They're ignorant of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and they're establishing their own righteousness. For Christ, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You want to be right with God? Believe in Jesus. You may be here or listening today and you have no idea what I'm talking about. You have no burden for the lost. You have no... Because you're not motivated by the gospel. The gospel that's changed your life. Paul goes on and he says in chapter 10, beginning there in verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because, verse 9... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. There's a lot of people saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I go to church. I'm baptized or whatever. But do you believe it in your heart? That's what we would say today. In the original language, it was like in your gut, uh, deep down. Do you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Because that's evidence that he is God, that Jesus is God. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You may be here today, virtually or in person, and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never really truly believed with all your heart. Therefore, you're still an enemy of God. Therefore, you were just like me before I got saved. Before I put my faith and trust in Him. Today, you can be saved. Today, you can be saved. Down home heart saved that's salvation the righteousness of God is revealed in Jesus Christ and he wants to give it to you so that you can be right with him believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe through faith it's not something you work for salvation is by grace through faith not of yourselves Not of works, lest any man should boast. But after you're saved, we become his workmanship to follow after him. And some people say, I got to defeat this sin. I got to get this out of my life and then I'll come to Jesus. You got it out of order there. It's Jesus who makes it powerful, makes us, gives us the power to be able to conquer sin. It's Jesus who does that. And you can be saved today. As pastor comes in just a moment, after I pray, I pray that you will give your life to him today. And let's pray together. Lord, your gospel is powerful. Your gospel is all about you and your righteousness. Lord, I thank you that you are so loving and merciful that you would allow me, a dirty, rotten sinner, to become right with you through your son, Jesus Christ. You love me so much that you provided the way to be reconciled with you. My, your, I'm your enemy. And you let me come to you through Jesus Christ. And I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that they will come to you today. And I pray, Lord, that we who are already born again and saved, that we will preach the gospel to ourselves every day so that we will understand it more. We'll be in the word of God every day so that through it and its power, we will reach out because we know you more and we know your righteousness and we know your mercy and we know your kindness and we know your love and we know, Lord, that you are the only way to bring about change in our world today. We know that you're the only way. And Lord, may we be even more convinced as we grow in you. May our theology of you grow to make our burden to bring people to you increase. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.